So we all know that this week on Thursday night, we start saying the same Talmudar in Shemun Asra. And uh, I was very honored that some people even remembered that we've spoken about this in the past. But you'll be glad to hear that unless you guys ask me the wrong questions, I won't be repeating anything I've said in the past. Um, so, everything we do follows the, soul, the lunar calendar. We have our own calendar with our own 12 months, Tishrei, Cheshvan, etc. The only thing, well not the only thing, but one of the only things, or the, perhaps the most common, uh, popular, well-known thing, that we do that is connected to the secular calendar is recitation of the Saint Talmata. Now, the truth is that that's not, that statement is not entirely accurate because it's not dependent on the secular calendar, it's dependent on the solar calendar. The solar calendar is neither religious nor secular, it's just the a scientific fact of how long it takes for the sun to circle the earth. Now, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu in Parshish Boi, um, Dan, that's in Exodus chapter 12. Um, we follow the um, the moon. So that's why we have the lunar calendar. But the solar calendar is a fact of life, a fact of science, right? And there are a number of things which it affects. Now, there are two seasonal um, two seasonal switches that we do in the Amida prayer in connection with broadly speaking this time of the year. The first is Mashiv Haruach Merit HaGeshem. In the second Bracha Shemir Ezra, we say that Hashem Atogimber, Hashem is mighty. Mashiv Haruach Merit HaGeshem, that Hashem causes it to rain. That is known in Halachic and Talmudic parlance as Haskoras Gevuris Kushamim, mentioning Hashem's um, power to bring rain. Then there is another switch, which is the one we're talking about now, which we say in Baruch Aleinu in the is it ninth Baruch Hashmanasra uh, or so, the same Talumata that in the winter we ask Hashem um, to get, send rain. The difference between these two things is and the first is Haskaras mentioning. We're not asking for rain. We're just mentioning that this is one of the mighty things that Hashem does. Um, and the second is Sheila is requesting that Hashem should actually give rain for a bracha to give us, I mean, in, 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 in modern day terms, you would say, give us Parnasa. But yeah, to give rain for the produce um, to, to make. Now, the, the bracha for Parnasa, we say the whole year. Baruch Haledu, we say that bracha the whole year. But during the rainy season is the time when we request that Hashem actually send us rain. Now, In the Tanoim, in the Brises and the Gemara, there, there are opinions. Now, what's, what's the sort of the, the rationale behind these two things? The idea is that before you ask somebody for a favor, and this is in general, on a very simplistic level, the whole structure of our Siddur is done this way, that before, before every, time, every, every day we say Shemana which the intermediate brachas uh, contain all our requ- requests for our needs, but we start off with three, bro- three brachas praising Hashem. Because uh, before you want somebody to do it, yeah, before, before your wife wants you to take out the garbage, she'll tell you, oh, you have such strong muscles. And then 10 minutes later, she'll say, oh, you know, would you mind to use your muscles to take out the garbage? Yeah, before you want somebody to do you a favor, That's you right. praise them. And specifically, you praise them, you, you compliment them in the area, in that area, and that sort of wakes up, awakens that 
part of them. And then when you make a request and say, you know, uh, you're so generous, and then you say, you know, would you share your generosity with me? So then uh, the person is more thing is more prone to respond in kind. Of course, in Chassidus, I think in in, in the Maimer. He discusses this, and of course, at face value, it would seem strange to attribute such a sort of uh, humanistic attribute to, to the Almighty. Yeah, why would we interact with Hashem in that way? As if you have to chasdashonim chanfa. How do you say sakak? Flatter. Yeah, flatter. Is that what you said? I should butter you up. Butter you up, right? So anyway, but that that's the reason. So before we say, f- before we re- we ask for rain, we mention Hashem being mighty and being able to in in Hashem. Uh, now, um, the in the Brises there are opinions. It's important that you know this for later on in the class. There are opinions that these two switches happen simultaneously. You start saying whatever the whatever the date we're going to choose is that you start th- that you do this switch. You do ma- you say you start saying Mashavroch and you also start saying Musain Talmata. La halacha we don't paskin like that way. How do we paskin? So the Mishnah says <coughs> when do you start asking for rain? first of all we're starting off the conversation in Eretz Israel. Right? Um, and one of the things that we did discuss in the past, which we're not gonna repeat this year, is the discussion of what you do if you're travelling in November, if you've travelled and you've come back. If it's relevant to you, you can speak to me afterward. Um, but in Eretz Yisrael, so now again, the seas- the time that you need rain doesn't really depend on our lunar calendar because a lunar calendar, the lunar calendar, the truth is like this: the lunar calendar is twelve months. Uh, the, the the moon, the moon doesn't have any annual cycle. The moon has a monthly cycle. The fact that we call 12 months a year is an arbitrary thing which we do in order to somewhat match up the lunar and the solar calendar. How long is a lunar month? A lunar month is 29 and a half days, uh, approximately, right? Um, I'm not giving you the exact number, but approximately 29 and a half days, which is why, in order to uh, even things out, we have... um, We have... uh, Approximately every other month being 30 days and every other month being 29 days because we don't want to have a month like the middle of the day it's suddenly the next month. We want to keep it clean. The Pasuk says, We learn out from the Pasuk. So, so yeah, so we do alternate between 29 days and 30 day months. Um, but that, uh, those months, those 12 months, actually don't match up with the seasons. The seasons depend on the sun. Right, which is why we have seven times in every 19 years we have a leap year where we add a month because every 12 months the cycle of the sun times 12 sorry, the cycle of the moon times 12 versus the cycle of the sun is going to be off by approximately 11 days so in order to supplement that that's why we have the extra month of Adar every, again, every two or three years um, in order to keep it a thing. So if we want to say, when do we need rain, it really shouldn't depend on a date in the lunar calendar, because the date in the lunar calendar is not always the same date in the season. The time that you need rain is going to be a certain time in the season, which depend, the seasons depend on the sun. However, there are other considerations. Um, we don't want to ask Hashem for rain in Eretz Yisrael before Sukkot. Uh, exactly when they need rain in Eretz Yisrael, we don't know. I mean, the Gemara doesn't say, but it's around Sukkot time. So we don't start talking about rain before Sukkot 
because rain on sukkahs isn't such a good thing because that would disturb people sitting in the sukkah. And like the Mishnah says in Masech the Sukkah, that if it rains when you're eating in the sukkah, it's like the master who summons his servant to serve him, and he serves him the water, and then he splashes, pours it back in his face. And much has been written and said about that, that Mishnah. Some commentaries maintain that that metaphor of the, of, of the rain being a simon klala, being a bad thing on sukkahs, is only true in Eretz Yisrael. It's not true in the countries like the United States, where, or most of the civilized world today, where we, the rainy season starts well before Sukkot. So that, and it's not a Simon Klala, right? So it's an interesting point. But we don't, in Eretz Yisrael, we don't want to start talking about rain before Sukkot. So when do we start saying the rain? So the first thing is, Mashavarach is mentioning rain. Now mentioning rain isn't asking for rain, it's just praising Hashem. Um, for the rain. So that we start immediately after Sukkot, otherwise known as Shmini Atzeres. That's how we know on Philas uh, Geshem. On Musaf of Shmini Atzeres, that's when we start the season, the first seasonal switch of Mashiach Rachel Ben Geshem. When do we start requesting rain? So it appears from the Gemara um, that really we should, in our Tishrael, start that immediately after. Um, we don't do that on Shmini Atzeres on because on Shmini Atzeres, we don't have the bracha of Baruch Aleinu, it's the Yom Defamida. But really, it should start immediately afterwards. However, we delay it until Zion Cheshvan, until the 7th of Cheshvan. Again, what's the relevance of 7th of Cheshvan, which is again a date on the lunar calendar? What's that got to do with the season? The answer is nothing. But there is a, um, a, a, a another consideration, that people have come to spend the holiday in the Holy Temple, and it could take them up to about two weeks to get home. And as soon as we start requesting Hashem for rain, Hashem is going to answer our prayers and send rain in abundance. So we don't want those people to have to make their way through the muddy streets with no umbrellas and uh, no lands and boots um, to, uh, to, and, and four-wheel drive to, um, to, to, to get back home. So we wait two weeks to give the Achran Shabi Yisrael for the once a tremendous lesson in Avish Yisrael over here that the whole nation needs rain, but we're waiting for one soldier who lives all the way at the end in the Harparas by the Euphrates River, uh, which is in Iraq, I think, yeah, um, or the pass, whatever, it's far, yeah, um, all the way for him to get home in, 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 in comfortably. That's to say which Mashiach uh, Ruh? That's to request the rain. Mashvaruch, we start Philas Gashem on Shmini Atzeres, and then we start requesting the rain again in Eretz on the seventh of Cheshvan, which is approximately two weeks, uh, two weeks and a couple, of the, maybe it's fifteen days or something after so after Shmini Atzeres. Okay, that's as far as Eretz is concerned. Now, the next big place that the Gemara, the, the, the only other place that the Gemara discusses explicitly, and thinking about the time and place this was written, this was reasonable was logical, was Bavel. What do we do in Bavel? That is, other than Eretz Yisrael, and written in the Babylonian Talmud, that was the only other place of interest. That's where basically most of the Jew- Jewish people lived, um, outside of Eretz Yisrael, was in Iraq, in Bavel. So, when do the Babylonians start saying, um, requesting for rain? So, um, <coughs> Bavel needs rain a lot later than Israel. First of all, Eretz Yisrael is a very mountainous land. Um, now, m- having mountains means two things. 
for the main thing, it means that the, the earth doesn't maintain the moisture because everything goes down. So you need a lot of rain. Whereas Bavel being the low, the plain, it retains the water. And it appears that, at least in times of old, Bavel and Mitzrayim and all those places surrounding Eretz Yisrael didn't really rely very much on rain. Um, they were surrounded by the river. You had the Niles River, the Euphrates River. Um, what's the other big river in that region? Um, there's another very Tigers. big one. Yes, thank you. Tigris River. So um, they had beside. So, so you had a lot of rain. It was flat, so we maintained the moisture, and they had irrigation systems which brought the water from the rivers into the land. We know that in Egypt, for example, it didn't rain, and they relied solely on the water from the Nile, which is why plaguing the Nile was such a, played such a, an important role in, in, in smiting the Egyptians. Now, in fact, this is alluded to in an explicit pasuk in the Torah. Let me just remember, remember it. Um, and it's... Ki ha'aretz asher atabah shama loich ha'aretz mitzrayim hi asher something v'hishkisa b'raglecha kigana yorok something rather, yeah, the land that you're coming to is not like the land of Egypt where you rely on the water of the ground Rather, it's uh, the land in which you are coming. Uh, search Eretz Horem of Koisi. The land that you're coming to is a land of mountains and valleys. Limtar and you drink water for, from the rain of the heaven. Right? They were coming from Egypt and sojourning in the desert and all the other surrounding lands. They're not so into the rain. Eretz needs a lot of rain. So, bottom line is that Bavel did not need, you found it? The Bavel did not need uh, rain so, um, so early. So they didn't need rain until Shishim Yoim B'Tkufa, until the 60, 60 days into the Tkufa. What does that mean? So the solar year is 365 days. Now that number is not accurate. We'll get there momentarily to give you the accurate <coughs> number. Let me see. Um, where is this? In the Tzavim? Where is it? Uh, Deuteronomy 11. This sounds like it's verse Chana. No, Akev. Yeah, this is Akev. Yeah? For the land to which you are coming to possess is not like the land of Egypt out of which you came, where you sowed your seed and which you watered by foot like a vegetable garden, but the land to which you passed to possess is a land of mountains and valleys and absorbs water from the rains of the heavens, right? The Akev, yeah, this is the. This is okay. <coughs> so, so, um, so the, the the solar year is 365 days, which we divide into four, which give us the so four seasons of winter, summer, spring, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, fall, autumn, as they say where I come from. Um, so, the six. Tkufa, in, 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 and again, in Talmudic parlance, those four seasons are named, known as Tkufas Tishrei. The Tkufa of Tishrei, that's the autumn, that's the season that starts around Tishrei, end of September, right? Yeah, the September 21st is the fall 
Equinox, is that what it's called? Your autumnal equinox. Autumnal equinox, that's the same, right? Then you have the second season is Tkufas Tevis, known as the December solstice. Then you have the Tkufas Nisan, known as the spring equinox. Yes? And then you have Tkufas Tammuz, known as the summer solstice. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So those are the, right, the, 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 those are the two days of the year that... The, the longest day of the year, the shortest day of the year, and the two days of the year that the night and the that are equal, the night and the day are equal. The middles. Right. The, the bottom peak, top peak, and the two middles. Okay. So summer is more is more day, winter is more night. Yeah. So Tkufa, so when do when do the Babylonians need rain? Right. The Babylonians in Iraq they need rain on the sixtieth day of the Tkufa. Sixty days into Tkufa's Tishrei, sixty days into the autumnal equinox, did I say that right? Um, that's when they need rain, and that's when they start saying the same Talamater. So, if the autumnal equinox is on September 21st, right? Is that true? Autumnal equinox is September 22nd. It, it could be off by, there's so many variables when you talk about all these type of things, there's, it could be off by a day or two, but it's, it's September 21st, September 22nd, right? So, when do we start saying the same Talmatar? And the Gemara talks about this, but we count the 60 days in. That means the, the day of the equinox is day number one, and the day on which we start, and on day 60, we start saying the same Talmatar. Um, so, September 22 plus 60 equals November 22. And that's why we start saying the same Talmatar on the 22nd of November, as is recorded in many of the early December. prominent poskim of December, so, no, of November. Right? September, October, November, that's 60 days. Okay. The 22nd of November, that's when we start saying the same Talamata. From and this the fall equin- uh, equinox? From, yes. Which is and we count how many days? 60. Why 60 again? That's when Bavel needs rain, 60 days. In, we're talking about Bavel, not about yeah. us yet. In 60 Bavel. days after the equinox? Yes. So in Bavel, on the 22nd of November, that, or the 21st of November, or the 23rd of November, yeah, it could be, again, it could be up, but around then, that's when we start saying the same Talamata. This is recorded in numerous earliest, po- earlier Paschim, and I'll just read to you a quote here from the Abu Durham, who is one of the um, earliest and most prominent commentaries on the Siddur. And he says that, Yom um, Shishim Yavi Bechav Beis Yom in November, Im February Oh, so he, he, no, one second. So he, he, he talks about mentioning it on the 22nd of November. Then, now here we are getting to nothing. I said to you before that the year is 20, is, is 365 days. That's not actually true. The cycle of the sun is, well, there's actually a number of shittas, how long it is. But for, to start with, we'll talk about what's known this was this was in the ancient world. This was the this was the number that everybody used. And in the Gemara, this this is, this shit is quoted in the Gemara in Erevin, and it's known Shmuel says it. So it's known in Halacha as Tkufas Shmuel, the season of Shmuel, which says that the year, the cycle of the sun is three hundred sixty-five days and six hours. Right. So if the if this if the year is three hundred sixty-five days and six hours. And you divide that number into four to get four seasons. So each season is going to be 91 days and seven and a half hours, right? 364, 364 divides by four is 91. 91 times four is 364, right? And then you have another 
30 hours another day and another 6 hours for 365 days and then 6 hours. So that's going to make each season be 91 days, 7 and a half hours. Says Kufas rule, that's how you count the season. Just, no, there's no complications. Just every season, you know when this season is, 91 hour, days and 7 and a half hours later is going to be the next season and that cycle is going to continue ad infinitum, is that how you say that word? Right, forever. Now, um, one of the things now the problem so, so the problem is that we, we want to keep the solar calendar on track now if every year is 365 and a quarter days eventually it's going to fall off track because a quarter of a day is not all that much it's 6 hours but after a number of years 6 hours adds up and you're going to be way off and Lahavdil um, the Goyim, the Christians care about this because they need Easter we care about it because we need Pesach to be in the spring um, that's why it's called spring cleaning, but um, but um, but the but the goyim lahavdil they care about it because they need Easter to be at the right time of the year, and so there's something called a leap year. What's a leap year? Every four years, we add a day into February, right, and that catches us back up to have to to, to being on cycle. So says the Abu Dharam, the sixtieth days of Tukufa, Again, we're talking here about Bavel is on the twenty second of November. However, if um, you're following a, if you, if the if the next February, right? In other words, now it's now it's November, now it's December, and in three months' time, um, if February is going to be 29 days, why is February 29 days? Because you're already um, six, twelve, eighteen hours off sync. So now the, the the solstice is no longer going to be on September 22nd. It's going to be on September 23rd. Because, right, next year you're going to add a day into February and sort of reset back to zero, and the solstice will come out on the 22nd. But now we're 18 hours off sync, the solstice is going to be already on the next day, so that means the 60th day of the Tkufa is on the next day. So in a year, um, on a November, which is three months preceding a leap February, a February with 29 days, then you start saying, one day later on the 20. 3rd of November. So far so good? Okay. So, now, you with me? You look confused. Is it you said that there's an extra day put in uh, February yes. every how many years? Four. Every four years. Every four years. Every year divisible by four. Like now it's that, coming up to 2020. Done, and that's done by, not by us. That's no, that's not. Why yeah. are they doing it? Something to do with Easter. So that, oh, that's why they In do order it. to keep the calendar synchronized with the, the sun, it's not 365, it's 365 and a quarter. Right, right. So, so then that's that right quarter four adds up. So every fourth year, you have to set it back a day, otherwise it's drifted off. Okay, yes. and because they're doing that, that's causing an issue for us? No, that, that changes. So just how we compute it. In other words, the, the equinox happens at a certain time. At a certain moment. That's when the sun it reaches that place, right? Right. Now, because we don't like to have a year being 365 and a quarter days, we just cut it off at 365. And every year we're falling six hours behind. And we only catch it up after the fourth year. So by the third year, which is now, right, you're already 18 hours off. So now the Tzkufa is no longer happening on, the tw- December 20- on um, September 22nd. It's happening on September 23rd. Mm-hmm. So therefore the time of putting over St. Telemoto becomes... Um, November 23rd, yes. I, wouldn't it be actually happening earlier and you're pushing it back to the correct time? Because if you're adding a day, 
You're adding the day later. Because if it was happening on the 23rd and the 22nd, why would you add another day? Because you'd be pushing it farther out. Well. Each year is too short. Right. By half a, by, by a quarter of a day. Right. So in the fourth year, you put in the day so that it gets pushed back. Right. Right. So the, if you didn't adjust it, that means the... It wouldn't be the 22nd, it would be, be the 23rd. Early. It would be happening earlier in September. And you're adding that day to... Okay. So... So 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 that's that's why we say we say until the on the twenty second of November, and on the year preceding uh, February twenty ninth we say it on the twenty third of November. Now, all of you are probably wondering, even though you've never visited Iraq, I assume, um, that you've never heard of starting to say we say until the in November. You've always heard that we say it in December. So what's up? So the answer is like this: the truth is that Tkufas Shmuel, um, the that I've been telling you about, yeah, that the year is 365 and a quarter days, is not completely accurate. Um, now, the accurate cheshben, which the scientists, well, what, what Halacha no, no, calls the accurate cheshben we call Kufas Rav Ada, um, which is mentioned in the Yerushalmi, which says that each day is 365, day, each year, sorry, is 365 days, 5 hours, 55 minutes, and 25.44 seconds. Right, which would mean that each tkufa is not 91 days and seven and a half hours, but it's 91 days, seven hours, and 28 minutes and 50 something seconds. Right? Now, what's the? What, what, how does this? What, what does this actually mean? Okay, hold on, we'll get back to that. Hold on. Now, even tkufa zavada, scientifically, with the, with the measurements that we have today, is not 100% accurate. And it's interesting that the Rambam himself. Um, the Rambam in Kiddush HaChedah says that those Tkufas are not 100%, that neither of them are 100% accurate, and he says that the Rambam, writing this 800 years ago, uh, more, wrote that the exact time of the year is 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes and 49 and a half seconds. And according to current um, uh, measurements, the Rambam was off by no more than 3 and a half seconds, which is astounding. Right? Um, so Smart. what happened was, what we have today is known as the, I don't know how to pronounce this, the Gregorian, Georgian something, Gregorian. Cal- Gregorian calendar. Why is it called the Gregorian calendar? Well, before Pope Gregory, Gregory Pope Gregory, I think it was, yeah, you're right. before Pope Gregory, we had Julius. The, so, the, 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 the system that we have, the calendar that we have with January, February, except the, well, that was known as the Julian calendar. Now, one day... In, um, uh, if I recall, it doesn't. I think this was, it probably says it somewhere here, but I think this was like in the 14th or 15th century. Oh, hold on, here we go. Um, 1582. Right? So in 1582, there was a convention, presumably in the Vatican, I don't know, and they said, hold on a second. We have all these years had our calendar based on 365 and a quarter days. Which means that, but we've been off because the truth is that um, every, every year, according to that cheshman, every year we're falling off 11 minutes, 11 minutes and 16 seconds. Um, 
uh, 14 seconds, whatever it is. Yeah, 11 minutes. Let's just call it 11 minutes. So for all these years, we've been going, falling off by 11 minutes. Now, 11 minutes ain't that much, but now, hundreds of years later, we're 10 days off. So they said, great, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, first of all, we're going to skip 10 days. Just, just to get ourselves back aligned, we're going to skip. <laughs> and um, so they woke up, it was, I think, in October, where did it go? I don't remember, whatever, the exact days, yeah, they made, they passed the law that um, in, um, in uh, whatever, October 2nd, and the next day is October 13th, right? <laughs> they just skipped the 10 days, and that's how they caught up. Now, that calendar was introduced by Pope Gregory, and that's why it's known as the Gregorian calendar. Now, today, the entire Western world uses the Gregorian calendar, but that took um, approximately 200 years or more for that to become completely... In fact, the British Empire, which at that time included America, did not accept that change until many, many years later. Um, and there were actually Jews living in America already by the time that switch happened. So, um, so I think... No. 1582? No, but I'm talking, no, not 1582, 200 and something years later, in the 1700s, they were Jewish, right? So now, the entire rest of the world uses the Gregorian calendar. Um, so they made that switch. Now, another thing they did in order to make that we shouldn't fall off any further, they said like this, we're going to have to take out some leap years, because... Every, our system is making us... The leap year adds the tw- February 29th, which pushes us back into sync, but we're still 11 minutes off. So how are we going to keep it back in the year? So they said, uh, when do you have a leap year? Every year that's divisible into four. So they said, on the century, we're only going to have a leap year if it's divisible by 400. So the year 1800 was not a leap year, even though it was the fourth year. The year 1900 was not a leap year either, because it's, not div- it's divisible by four, but it's not divisible by 400. The year 2000 was a leap year because it's divisible by 400. Right? The year 2100 is not going to have a February 29th. Because it, even though it's the fourth year, it's not the fourth, right? So that, I, I believe, maybe they did other things also, but I think that's the main thing they did to make sh- to keep up this 11 minutes that shouldn't send them way, way off. Now, so that's what they did. La halacha, la halacha, as far as the same Talamotor for Bavel is concerned, we stuck with Tkufa's Shmuel. Now, even though with, 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 with measuring the Tkufa as being 91 days and seven and a half hours. Now, even though we know in the Rambam, and I think we know that it's not accurate 100%, we still use it. And we still use it for a number. There's, in, 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 in Halacha, there are a number of things that depend on the Tkufa. Um, the, the two, perhaps, besides when to save a saint Talmud, perhaps the other one that's the most famous is Bircha Sachama, every 28 years, the bracha we make on the sun. For those two things, certainly, we rely on Tkufa Shmuel. There's other things, which uh, not drinking water, that went over the Tkufa, um, so perhaps we rely on Tkufa Sevada, which is more accurate, but for whatever reason, and it's beyond the scope of, ne- of uh, discussing right now, for, hal- for Halacha, we still use Tkufa's Shmuel. Now, they, that's how you get this jump from November 22nd until December 5th or 4th, because um, uh, b- by now, that wasn't the 15th thing, by now, um, Tkufa Shmuel is approximately 15 days off, right? Uh, give or take. So, uh, because every, every year you're falling off 11 minutes, and this is going back, um, yeah, let's do the calculation, this is going back about 1800, 1900 years. Um, let's do... Uh, 
1900 times 11, right? So that's 20, 20, 21,000 minutes. Let's say 20,000 minutes. And how are we going to figure out how many days is 20,000 minutes? We're going to divide divide by 60, divided by 24. Divided by 60, divided by, uh, one second, divided by 24. So it's 14 and a half days, right? So back in the day, in the days of the Abu Durham, they were saying, um, written in 1340 in Spain, the year 1340 in Spain, right? They were right. They were saying the Saint Talmudah on the 22nd of November. Add to that 14 and a half days, and you get to the fourth, fifth, sixth of December, which we'll discuss in a minute. Within those days, what, what, what that's about. So that's how we get to the December date. So. We start saying the Saint Talmudar. The date, the, the date is the fifth of December. That's the date you want to remember. However, we're, again, we're not following. We didn't suddenly stop following the Jewish calendar, which has the day follow the night, right? We're not fifth of December from twelve a.m. to twelve to twelve a.m., right? We're the, with that day, that twenty-four hour period of the fifth of the fifth of December, but we still start the day from the night. So that's why we start saying the Saint Talmudar on the 4th of December in Myriv, because that Myriv, even though on your calendar and on your, yeah, it says today is until midnight, it's still the 4th of December, as far as Halach is concerned, once it's nightfall, now it's the 5th. So we start saying the same Talamatar on the Myriv of the 4th of December, going into the 5th of December, except if February 29th, as this year, coming up in two months' time, is... February 2020, 2020 divides into four, so that means it's going to be a leap year, there's going to be 29 days of February. And like the Abu Dharam says, on the year, uh, on just preceding a February, where you're already uh, 18 um, hours off, so you have to push it off a day, which is why this year we start saying the Saint Talamotar on Myriv of the 5th of December, which, um, which is technically the Myriv which halakhically belongs to the next day, to December 6th. Okay? Okay, so that, it, 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 a good t- if anybody has any questions, now's a good time to ask, because then we move on to the, the next topic. Can you just quickly repeat how we got to December 5th? From, from November... Because we're, we're using a calendar which is off-sync from um, the calendar that's current, the Gregorian calendar, by about 11 minutes a year. And because we've been using that calendar for the best part of 2,000 years, that sets us about 15 days off. So originally they, they skipped 11 days. Yeah, but by now well, we, we need another skipped three. 10, I think. But by now it would be another four or five, yeah. If you recall, a couple of years ago, Thanksgiving was on the first day of Hanukkah, and there was articles all around the blog sphere how um, that would never happen again in history. Because for our calendar, actually we don't use Tkufas Shmuel for the calendar, we use Tkufas Rabada for the leap years, but nonetheless it's still off by a few minutes and that would mean that it's, it's never going to be possible for Thanksgiving to coincide with Hanukkah again. Not even Mashiach comes? No, because, well, I don't know we'll, when, when we have Mashiach, Thanksgiving will be moved to, when will when, when we'll Thanksgiving, I don't know, to Purim, anyway yeah, okay <laughs> alright, so then we'll find out if turkeys are kosher, I do, sorry <laughs> That's a different year. That's next week. Okay. Now, the big question is, and I'm going to confess that I don't know what time, how long this is going to take. 
Um, but as I've done a couple of times in the past, I, I would like to just finish this, and I will not take offense if anybody has to leave. I don't do that often, but once in a while, I, I, I just feel it's important to get something through for, uh, uh, properly. So, um, and if you do have to leave early, I'll send out the recording later, and you can finish up over there. Okay, so, so far we've discussed when to save a Saint Talamata in Israel, and we've also discussed when to save a Saint Talamata in Iraq. What's all this got to do with Chicago? So, Rashi says, on the Gemara over here, that in Pavel, um, that's how we do it. Um, he says, um, and we also do it like that because we follow Pavel. In other words, there are two Talmuds. There's the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. For the most part, we always pass in any case of difference, we pass in like the Babylonian Talmud. Right? So the Babylonian Talmud says, the Babylonians, what do they do? They start saying it on the 60th day of the autumnal equinox. So that's when we should start doing it. So we follow Bavel. That's when we say Vesein Talmator. The whole world, we follow Bavel. Now, this may raise some eyebrows because L'Chaira, right? Bavel, this is not a machloikis between Israel and Bavel about when the correct time to start saying it. It would appear that this is all about the seasons. When do you need rain? If you live in Bavel, you need rain on December 5th. If you're in United Israel, you need rain about Sukkot time. And if you're in the United States, um, the fact is that uh, you also need rain around Sukkot time. So this is a very, very old machloikus. And um, indeed, halachically, the halachic sound approach would indeed be that in America and in Europe and in most of the world today, we should be saying the same Talmudar like they do in Israel, not like they do in Iraq. And what I'm going to do today is there's a tshuva from the Rosh, a letter written by the Rosh, which is a fascinating tshuva, which has a lot of halachic and historical and hashkafic insight. It's absolutely fascinating. And somebody was even kind enough to post online an English translation of this tshuva. So I'm going to read this, we're going to read all this together and uh, discuss it as it goes along. I just want to point out that the to the bottom line is, the halacha, as as you're well aware, the halacha remains that we do say the same talamata in Chicago like they do in Bavel, even though it seems to be very difficult to justify this in any rational and logical way. Um, And in fact, the Archa Shulchan uh, Rabbi Epstein's uh, cousin or grandfather or something, yeah, Rabbi Chil uh, Michael Epstein, is that his name? Um, Halevi. Um, so he, um, one of the, also very prominent Posek, and uh, lived uh, around 150, maybe 180 years ago, I want to guess, maybe a bit more, maybe 200. He, he is related? Well, I, I assume they're related. Halevi Epstein is probably related. I don't, know, I don't think it's, anyway, whatever, yeah. So, so, um, so, so the Aruch HaShulchan says that this is, you know, he explains how the Rambam and the Rosh, and it doesn't make any sense to do what we're doing in Europe. He's writing in Europe. And he says like this, I'm going to see the Rosh inside, but I'll quote for you. The Rosh himself testifies that his words, his argument in favor of saying the Saint Alamotta based on the local needs were not accepted. And listen what the Archa Shulchan says. It's as if there was some sort of heavenly voice that says, thou shalt do like they do in Bavel. We can, it doesn't make sense according to the halachic, you know, and this is a very important the reason why I'm reading to you this Archa Shulchan before we see the Russian side, is because I believe that this is a very important and fundamental um, approach to many areas of Jewish life, that often 
when we come to halachas, we come to minhagim, is it really necessary? It doesn't really make sense. And you see over here how the paskim, despite not having any logical sound explanation to justify the prevalent custom, they still say, this is the custom, and if we've tried to change it and it hasn't worked, it must be that this is what Hashem wants. And you find a similar approach in many poskim to the question of duchening every day, which again, in Chutzlaretz Ashkenazim, don't duchen every day, and again, it's very, very difficult to justify that or to explain that in any sound halachic way, and other similar, similar things. And he says, and, and he finishes off, this is after he says how it doesn't make any sense to do this. He says, nevertheless, if you change, if somebody questions, um, expresses doubt uh, in, this, in this behavior, is worthy of penalty. Right? Because the Orach HaShulchan, who's not a Chassid HaShirov, he was a Mestagin, yeah? He's a Pesach. But at the end of the day, he recognizes the fact that this, you don't mess with tradition. So I think that that's a very important um, comment of, of the Orach HaShulchan. Um, just a moment. So much so that even in the southern hemisphere where it's the onset of summer, it's not a request for... Oh, right, that's another... still do. That's know? another question. What, to, what do people... For, never mind Chicago where it's technically the same seasons as Israel, except that our needs are different for times of rain. You have all the Jewish communities in Australia and South Africa and Argentina and all the southern hemisphere. That, uh, um, yeah, well, we will discuss this in as you do there. So please pass around these papers and let's read it together. Just a quick um, historical um, introduction to this shuva. The Rosh was one of the most prominent Ashkenazic authorities who lived in Germany. He was a Talmud of the Maharam Rutenberg. He was a Talmud of the Ma- a student of the Maharam. Now, the Maharam Merutenberg was, if you've ever seen the book, Unpaid Ransom, the, fa- the Maharam Merutenberg was famously kidnapped by, uh, I don't know who, by the, by the local, by the government, and the reason they kidnapped him was because they knew that he was the most prominent rabbi, and certainly the Jewish people would pay anything they possibly could to, re- to ransom him. So they kidnapped the Maharam, and the Maharam sent a letter from prison um, forbidding the Jewish community to ransom him, because he said that um, this would just encourage them to do further such, uh, to continue, you know, to do more such things. And indeed, the Maharam Rutenberg, who, uh, like I said, is one of the most prominent Paiskim in Ashkenaz, he um, lived the rest of his life and died in prison, and it was only, I think, many years after he passed away that finally somebody paid for them to release his body to bring him to a Jewish burial. Now, the Maram Rutenberg's Talmud was the Rosh. The Rosh was his Talmud. The Rosh is the father of the Tur. The Tur, the tur is the first codifier of Jewish law. In, 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 he wrote the Arba Turim. The Rosh was a Talmud of the Maram, and it seems like he realized that he better flee. So he was living in Germany, and he started, as a Gelastof and Weg, he started fleeing, and he traveled through France until he came to Spain and eventually ended up taking up the position of rabbi of the city of Toledo. Not to be confused with Jacob Weingro's Toledo, this is Toledo, Spain. Um, I don't even know if it's pronounced Toledo or Toledo or whatever it is. Um, but um, that's why he became the Rosh. So besides being such a prominent Pesach, the Rosh had a privilege, which was very rare in those days, of having traveled 
extensively and being able to testify and to witness the customs and the, of, of all sorts of different communities, the German communities, the French communities, and the Spanish communities, right? So, um, so far. Um, I think the rest of the history is probably going to be self-contained. Um, so that's fine. Let's just read this straight from the English. Unfortunately, the way it's, the Hebrew and the English doesn't sort of line up very accurately, but we'll just read the English. And yeah. In the year 5073 from the creation of the world, the rains that were withheld and only a bit of per- precipitation um, fell all winter. A fast was called to beg God to give rain upon the soil. On the first night of Pesach, after the evening prayers, my master and father... Um, the Rabosha, that's the Rosh, so this introduction to the Tshuva is, is written by his son, <coughs> sat at the door to his home, and we, some of his confidants, stood over him to the right and the left. He said, now is a good time to raise something about which I have always wondered. Why not invoke the petition of rain? Why not invoke and petition for rain until Shavuot, right? We know this is the first night of Pesach. What happens after Pesach? You come to Shul the first day of Pesach. What do we have? We finish saying Mashiv Ruach. We finish the raining. We finish. Uh, we, 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 we finish saying the seasonal requests for rain. So here they're in Toledo, Spain, and it's a drought. They've been fasting all winter, begging Hashem to give rain, and it's Pesach, and it still hasn't had. They still don't have enough rain. And tomorrow they're going to come to Shul and have a whole celebration of saying Tal, and they're going to stop saying it's for rain when they need it most. Uh, just to share an anecdote, um, a number of years ago, I had the uh, of uh, spending Pesach in uh, the first days of Pesach in Kaunas, Kovna, otherwise known Kovna, Lithuania. So there was a shul over there, which was uh, at the time was a, was a huge building, but they, they used a side room and it was mamish. Uh, so we came there. We actually it was a long story. We came late because we couldn't find we didn't we couldn't find the place. But uh, eventually we came there. When we came, it was me and another three Bachrim. Um, and there was also a f- number of Israeli students who were studying medicine in Kovna who joined us. So we were, I think we were a minion in our own right, maybe. And we came into this shul, a tiny, tiny room, like maybe a third of the size of this woman's section of this shul. And um, there were nine people in there, and they were in the middle of Hazar Shatz for Shachris. So one of the Israeli students got very angry, and he said to them, we saying Hazar Shatz without a minion. Um, and they said, no, 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 it's the Arun Kodesh, which indeed is an opinion in the Gemara that the Arun Kodesh could count for the minion. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but then they were very excited that we came and they asked us to lane and to share a few words and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a phenomenal experience. But one of the things was that they were so excited that they're going to have these Chazonim uh, from America, you know, we were, we were like a magic for them, who were going to be able to do Tal. Tal, Tal, they couldn't, they barely spoke, they definitely didn't speak English, though, a few words of Yiddish, but they were screaming, Tal, 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 they wanted us to do Tal. Unfortunately, we couldn't honor them because we had come late and we hadn't done Chakras yet. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so says the Rosh, yeah, tomorrow is the first day of Pesach and it's going to be Tal. But says the Rosh to his confidants over here, we still need the rain, let's delay. And not and continue saying the rain prayer until Shavuos. Some of the confidants responded it would be good to notify the elders to do so. It was right in their eyes, and they sent word to the synagogue cantor to invoke rain the next day to continue saying Mashavarach. So they did. The thirteen attributes were invoked in the large synagogue, right? I mean, even though it's Yomtif, but they were still saying it give them because it was a drought. And there was a great cry during the invocations. And some of the sages protested that this was done without their counsel. Right? It's, 
not clear if their problem was that uh, they said Mashavaruach on Pesach, or the problem was that they weren't consulted. Anyway, and they spread a rumor saying that it should not have been done, for it pr- portends curse. Right? The Gemara says, this is based on the Gemara Tainus, that says that if it rains on Pesach, it's a simon klala, because just as rain is a blessing in Cheshun Kislev, etc., it's a curse in the wrong season. It could ruin the crop, it could ruin. Well, my father, Master the Rosh, held back and said nothing. Here's the first. Uh, element of Hashkafi. You see over here? He held back. He said nothing on that day. Until the first night of Cholomayet, then he wrote a treatise to support his words, and this is its content. Right? So, the Rosh originally suggested that they should do this, but then when he saw that this was creating Machloikas, he said, you know what? I'm just going to keep quiet now, let things die down, and after Cholomayet, he would write a letter. Now, you could see, we'll get there at the end, he says that even though he doesn't usually write on Cholomayet, but this was very important, and he wrote this on Cholomayet. Okay, number three in English. So, from here on is the words of, uh, of, the, of the Rosh. This was the introduction, now it's him. Since I have heard that some are astonished at my words, I have come to explain what I have said, that currently it is not proper to cease invoking and petitioning for rain on the first day of Pesach. It was not from when it happened... Rather, already many years ago in Germany, I protested two things that I saw practiced in those days. So going back to his days in Germany under the tutelage of the Maram, there were two customs that the Rosh witnessed which disturbed him greatly. Number one, the first is that they do not petition for rain properly, even though it's stated in the first chapter of Tainus, 10b. That is, Tot Hananya said in the diaspora, we do not begin petitioning for rain until the 60th day of the autumn season. And Abun Abachia said in the name of Shmuel that the law accords with Hananya. And we always follow the Babylonian sages and practice in accord with their opinions. Whenever the Babylonian sages and their Israel sages dispute each other, for we consider the Babylonian Talmud to be a primary. Nevertheless, says the Rosh, this is all applies on matters concerning permitting or prohibiting, obligating or exempting, declaring pure or defile. But when the matter hinges on the temporal needs, temporal needs, and it does not entail an alteration that transgresses the words of the Torah, it is proper to follow the year, the times, and the season. And Babylonia sits on a great deal of water, and they did not require rain until the 60th day of the season. Alternatively, the planting season was later in Babel. But in Germany, where the planting season begins in the middle of Tishrei, i.e. the beginning of, uh, right, the beginning of Tishrei is approximately the beginning of autumn, right, September 21st, 22nd is the equinox, it is well known that if the rain does not fall immediately after the seeds are planted, they will be ruined as the birds and rats will eat them all. So why should we not practice in accordance with the people of Eretz Yisrael who petition for rain in Marcheshon in the early autumn like Rabban Gamaliel? That's in the Mishnah. For in this matter, there is no dispute between the people of Bavel and the people of Eretz Yisrael, it, it, in the sense that these offer a rationale for why it is proper to follow their position, and those offer a rationale why it is proper to follow their position. There's no with these arguing in favor of that. And, and, yeah. Rather, in Babylon, they acted on the basis of their needs, and the Mishnah, which states that we begin petitioning in Macheshon, was taught in Eretz Yisrael in accordance with its needs. And with its needs. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit, because the next piece, until you get to, um, uh, where is it, to number five on the next page, um, is all to, one second, let me just see quickly, um, Yeah? Until number five is all d- proving from various discussions in the Mishnah and the Gemara that these Mishnahis were never meant to be taken as dogmatic. 
they were, they were simply talking about the subjective circumstance of life in Eretz Yisrael. And he demonstrates that very thing, and therefore, there's no matlokes over here. So that's the first practice that the Urosh witnessed in Germany that he found disturbing. And Num- they were practicing according to Bavel? And there's no reason to. We should practice the Quantum Eretz because the needs of Europe are comparable to the needs of Eretz not to the needs of Iraq. Why is it comparable to either? It just happens to be that it is. It, they have they have a need in Germany for rain. Yeah, well, I mean, they also plant things in Germany. They have Pretty rainy there, no? The second practice, you know, you remind me of the story of the two chassidim who were learning the Kutitayra, and they came across a statement that two thirds of the world is water and one third of it is land. So he said, I don't understand. I was in, I was in, 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 in you know, in Lubavitch, I was in, 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 in Tashkent, I was in Poking, I was, I came to America, wherever I go, it's all dry land. And I, you have to believe whatever it says in Torah with Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't go to the farmlands, you go to the, the cities, yeah? <laughs> but, uh, yeah? You go, if you fly, you can see. Yeah, okay. Okay, the second practice, number five, yeah? The second practice. I just think you think of like Eretz Yisrael and Bavel is more of arid uh, terrain. The second practice, he says clearly that there was a problem with the rats eating yeah, the yeah. seeds, yeah? The second practice is that the custom, and it's not about location, it's also in our minds, we're so, we still have farmers, yeah? There's <laughs> we eat things, but most people nowadays are not involved in agriculture in any, you know, way. The second practice is that they customarily stop invoking and petitioning for rain on the first day of Pesach. Whereas it is well known that in Germany the sustenance of the produce is primarily from the rain that falls between Pesach and Shavuos. And the Mishnah, which states that we stop invoking rain on the first day of Pesach, was taught to the people of Eretz Yisrael, as I have demonstrated. And for them, the barley harvest was on Pesach, and the wheat was well, as well was already standing and only needed to dry out and ripen by Shavuos. Thus, rain was an omen of curse for them. But in Germany, where the produce cannot survive without rain between Pesach and Shavuos, rain portends blessing for them. So why should we not invoke petition of the rain until Shavuos? And the laws of repeating the Amidah for reciting Merit HaGashem will apply to them after Shavuos, just as it applies to the residents of Ayat from Passover and on, as I have demonstrated. Each land invokes and petitions for rain according to its needs. Right? For just as Ayat and Babylon have different practices for invoking and petitioning rain, each according to its needs, so to other lands. For what's the difference? Further proof can be adduced. One second. Okay, let's, let's skip this again because of time constraints. He goes on to say how there's a difference between a small, if you have a small island or a small place that has its own obscure needs, so we say, no, we, they, they should just follow everybody else. But if you have a whole country like Germany or Europe that has different needs than Bavel, why should we follow Bavel? Right? Yeah, okay. So the two things that bothered him were both really essentially the same thing, but one is when do we start invoking rain? Like Eretz Yisrael, like Bavel, and the second thing that bothered him was when do you stop invoking rain? Number six. I discussed all these matters before my masters in Germany, and no one challenged my words. Rather, they said we do not need to change the practice in Germany because drought is uncommon there, and often the produce is ruined by excessive rain. So it seems like the masters of the rush, which primarily I assume this is the Maran Rutenberg, said, "You know what? You're right, but like you got to pick your battles." Baruch Hashem, we don't have drought in Germany. That's not the big deal. To start making everyone change their minhag, we have more important things to, to, to fight for. So, drop it. Then he says, when I left Germany and passed through province, right? those who uh, come to the Thursday night Gemara Shir, remember we had the big machloikas in that long tesis, 
between Rabbi Yehuda, uh, uh, Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachmei Provincia about Tashlumin, when on Rish Chodesh, if you forgot Yalav Yavai, on Mincha of Rish Chodesh, do you say Tashlumin by Meirif, right? Remember that? So those were the sage of the Chachmei Provincia, right? So when he left Germany, he came to France. So I don't know if, provi- I don't know if province means France, or province is an area in France. When I left Germany and passed through Provincia, I heard that, provin- that in Provincia they would invoke rain on the seventh of Macheshun. Over there they did it like Eretz Yisrael. And I deemed this to be quite correct. And I said to the sages of Montpellier, which is also in France, you have answered one of my questions. You've answered one of my questions, right? In, in, in terms of that they start rain on the right time. What do you do with regard to stopping? Do you, have you answered my second question also? Um, they said that they practice in accordance with the Mishnah that they stop on the first day of Pesach. So I said to them, is it possible that you do not require rain in between Pesach and Shavuos? And they told me that no, that they do require much rain and, so, and, and that the produce cannot survive without rain. So I presented my words to them as they are written above and they found it to be quite correct. But they said that we petition. We're beginning on the 7th of Mechashon is because this was the practice instituted by the early sages. But with regards to stopping, we cannot do anything to change the practice unless we gather all the sages of the land. I left them without knowing what they agreed to do. In other words, again, just like the, the, Maram, the, the, the masters of the Russian Germany said that you're right, but we lack the wherewithal to implement this. So, so too in Montpellier in, in France, they indeed did make some changes in that they started doing it on Zion Mechashvin, but they did not have the wherewithal, or the Rosh doesn't know whether or not they had the wherewithal to actually implement the second change to continue <coughs> doing it until Shavuos. And then, Benichtukumen to Spain. Then I came here. And I saw that we need rain between Pesach and Shavuos even more than the other places. Several times I told my colleagues that it would be proper not to stop invoking and petitioning until after Shavuos. For now I know that in all lands with which I am familiar, the main rains are between Pesach and Shavuos, and certainly much of them. Yet I did not dare to speak these words to change the practice again until the year 5073, right? This is 707 years ago. I, uh, I, I kept quiet. But now that I see that because of our sins the rains have stopped and the plantings have been ruined and we are fasting for rains and even on Shabbos and Yom Tov when we do not fast we invoke the 13 attributes and recite verses pertaining to rain my heart has said to me that the time has now come to institute what I have wanted to do for many years for they will certainly heed me during such a time of distress says the Rosh oh, here all the years the Chachamim in Germany and France and Spain have neglected because they said, okay, this is not the battle we're going to fight, but now we're so desperate, now is a Shas HaKoysher, now is an opportune time for me to implement this, and it's such a time of distress that certainly they will heed me, and if this, if this is prescribed to them during the present year, they will find it sweet, and they will not relent from it, and they'll continue, they would certainly do, right, and they'll continue practicing this way. However, they would certainly do so, but they tilted their hearts and changed back their minds, um, says the Rosh, in all my optimism, I was wrong because clearly this made a ruckus and didn't work. One second. So then number 10 goes into, again, demonstrating his thing. Then he says, um, okay, um, okay, let's, re- let's read number 11 also. It's on. 
Maimonides of blessed memory accords with me in his commentary in the Mishnah, which states, Until when do we petition for rain? Rabbi Huda says, Until the end of Passover. The Tanu who taught this was not the Tanu who taught the previous Mishnah. We have already ruled above the law accords with Rabbi and Rabbi This all applies only yet. Read from here and on. This all applies only in Eretz Yisrael, in lands whose climate is like its climate. And everything you see them saying about the timing of the fast days, right? The timing of the fast days means that the Mishnah says, which dates do you fast if no rain has come? Right? Those dates apply to Eretz Yisrael. Only applies to Eretz Yisrael in places with similar climates. But in other lands, the petitioning must be during the season that they require rain in that land, and that time shall be treated as though it is the seventh of Marcheshvan. And if the rain are delayed beyond that time, then the fast days should be practiced accordingly. Right? So again, he's bringing, um, uh, he's bringing proof from the Rambam uh, to to back up his position. Okay, let's skip to twelve. Super. Oh no, no, let's skip to thirteen because twelve is a steer in the Rambam. Again, a little bit. We don't need to go into that. Thirteen, right towards the end. But when I saw that they had swayed the heart of the community to not accept the words of the living God from me, I listen to this. This is a very powerful words. The Rosh has his whole life been disturbed by this practice. He finally, he's he's not just a, the he's the rough of the city. Yeah, he's the rough of the city. But he can't. It's again, people are not listening. Says the Rosh, what did he do? Not only did he stop the battle, he changed his own practice. But when I saw that they had swayed, yeah, I too retracted from petitioning and invoking rain in the synagogue I attend, even though I could have petitioned, and even though I am an individual, which, in the part that we skipped, he speaks about individuals, since it is a public need. Nevertheless, I did not want to create multiple factions. I would not have written on Cholom, right? So in order to, to, to avoid even any element of Machlech, because him and his quiet Shmanasu, nobody's going to know. Yeah, in his quiet Shmanasu, he's going to say the same Talamata, but they're saying the same Bracha. No, we don't want to make a goodness a goodness. The Achtus of the community, the unity of the community, is of paramount importance. I would not have written on Chalamayut, as I am unaccustomed to, to it, but in the need of the hour due to the desecration of Hashem's name, and it is also in a small sense a need of the festival, and therefore he signs Asher ben Yechiel, and then in number 15 you see some of his colleagues um, co-signed, um, co-signed the document. Now, um, and just finish off by saying a, a number of points. Number one, we don't have time to go through the Halacha Lamaisa, but, 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 but you can read it in the, in the English, it's chapter 117, where he goes through it. And even though we don't pass in like the Rosh, but the practical relevance of this is that if, besides having some ramifications on if you travel from Chutzler to Israel, but if for whatever reason it's rare that this should happen, because usually if somebody makes a mistake in that Amida, it's because he's just saying what he's used to saying. But if for whatever reason you by mistake said the same Talamata today, even though it's not yet the 5th of December, you don't have to repeat Shmanasra because according to the Rosh, you did the right thing. So that's just a practical thing. Uh, I also want to finish off with a, a thought that at the end of the day, you know, the, the, so the Aruch HaShulchan says it's as if there's a heavenly voice which stated that thou shalt behave like Babel. But perhaps on a more um, uh, mystical level, uh, there's a message here that, um, you know, the, in, in Chassidus it talks about the Pasuk Tzidkas Pizoyin, the Medrash says, Tzidkas Pizoyin be Yisrael, that the Medrash says, Tzidkas Pizoyin be Yisrael, that um, Hashem did a kindness to the Jewish people, that He scattered them amongst the nations. And one of the explanations that Chassidus um, explains in this is that 
the mitzvahs, the Torah mitzvahs that a Jew does in any place in the world is helps everyone. So, for example, while back in not too distant past, there were many Jews who were trapped behind the Iron Curtain and there were certain mitzvahs which they were prevented from doing. So by the fact that the Jewish people in America engaged in those very mitzvahs, that um, uh, protected the Jews, that, that sort of helped, was a tzedakah for the Jews behind the Iron Curtain, etc. So, perhaps there's a message that usually in many things we follow Eretz Yisrael. Because Eretz Yisrael is Telpius, that's our home, that's the center of the world. But perhaps there's also a message that we also have to realize that this, this is called, we're, we are in Golos Vavel, right? This, we call, well, we are not in Golos Vavel, we're Golos Adim, but Golos in general is Gol, the first Golos was, uh, after the first place in English was Golos Vavel. That's one of the, it's sort of, Vavel symbolizes Golos. And perhaps there's some message in that we remind ourselves that wherever in the world we are, and again, we didn't get a, have a time to discuss the Southern Hemisphere. But wherever in the world we are, we are all in the same golos, and we are all put ourselves together in that way to collectively be the Jewish people, to collectively daven for each other, to collectively learn Torah and do mitzvahs for each other, and collectively um, daven and await the coming of Mashiach. So, as we go into the winter season, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the winter seasonal changes that we, or additions that we make to davening. So, um, let's open up to page 46. Um, so, there are two in the in the winter is the time when we the world in general needs uh, rain in order to so that when we come to the summer we should have crop to be able to um, to harvest. So we have two times in the Amida prayer that we reference this. The Amida prayer was instituted as we just studied in Rambam. Those who are studying Rambam, we just studied this this week that it was. Originally, the idea of prayer was for a per- person to just request their needs. Um, but once people became less literate in Hebrew and less organized, so it fit to institute a uniform text that everybody would say for <coughs> sorry for their prayers, and that this uniform text should incorporate within it all of people's needs. Of course, if a person wants to ask for a specific need, there's room for that as well within the Amida to add in their own prayers within the Amida, and there's rules about how to do that. But just as general, the Amida prayer incorporates the needs of everybody. So the the template of the Amida is that the first three brachas are not requesting our needs. Those are the sort of th- first three introductory brachas where we're talking about Hashem and Hashem's greatness, and then the fourth blessing and on leads into our needs. So, in the second blessing, we talk about Hashem's Gevura, Hashem's might, and the amazing things that He does, and within that bracha, we incorporate mentioning Gevura's Geshamim. We mention that Hashem causes the rain to, 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 to fall. We only do that mention in the winter. In the summer, 
it's not the time to talk about rain. And now, it's important to note, we are not requesting, we're not asking Hashem to give us rain. We're just mentioning the fact we are uh, talking about the fact that that's what He does. Later on, in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th bracha, the bracha of Baruch Haleinu, which is the bracha where we ask for Parnasa and for livelihood, that is when in the winter we ask for rain. V'sein talumoto levracha, snow, dew, and rain for blessing upon the face of the earth. Right? Now, those are the two. So the first one is a more generic and or not in a request, just sort of uh, mentioning Hashem's greatness. And the second one is requesting rain. Um, as with many things, if a person changes if a person says the bracha in a way other than Chazal instituted to say so, one has not fulfilled one's obligation. And in order to discharge one's obligation of davening, you must say it in accordance with the way Chazal instituted. Now, that doesn't mean to say that every word is indispensable, but there's rules which go with it. And we're going to discuss some of these today, and also discuss the times to start saying them, and what you do if you're traveling to Israel. Um, there's different times to say it in Israel, and, and in Chutzlaretz, etc., etc. So let's start from the beginning. So the first thing is, Mashiv HaRuach HaGeshem. Now, in the summer, in this Siddur, and this is the minhag of Nusach Sfarad and the Sfardim. In the summer, in, we, do no, we do not say that Hashem, we do not mention that Hashem causes the rain to fall, but we do say that He causes the dew to descend. Um, now, that is an extra addition. The, the, the original Takana was that in the winter you mention rain, in the summer you don't mention rain. Right? Then there is the custom, that is the custom of Chabad and other, all the communities that have a Nusach Sfarad, that they say, Meirid Hatol, um, we, we talk about the dew in the summer, we ta- instead of just omitting it completely, we add in the mention of the dew. Ashkenaz communities, by and large, do not say Meirid Hatol in the summer, and we'll see soon that there may be a number of differences, practical differences, um, besides, of course, the omission, there's other ramifications. So they wouldn't say anything? No, they just say... Um, they, ju- they just say... Atu gibbelele m'ashem echaim yesh matarav l'eshia m'chal k'lchaim. You are mighty forever, my Lord. You resurrect the dead. You are powerful to save. He sustains the living, and they skip that. Rabbi Isai! By the way... Um, I ju- just by the way, I heard an uh, interesting vart once, I don't remember the source of this, but uh, for those who are a bit familiar with Hebrew grammar, this is a very interesting idea. If you look, look at the words, we say m- uh, many words, when they come at the end of a sentence or at the end of a phrase, they change from a lighter um, pronunciation to a more hard pronunciation. So, for example, the word um, tal... If you look at the ninth bracha on page 48, we say, bestow dew and rain for a blessing. Whereas on page 46, it doesn't say, it says, it's the same word, just with a pasach and with a comment. Why? Because the comment is at the end of a sentence, or the end of a where you would put a comma in English, at least. And when it, a word comes at the end 
um, of, a, of, of, a, of a verse or a sentence, it becomes a more firm pronunciation. You can see that in Chumash all over, um, words which come um, at the end of a word, Eretz, Aretz, you know, things like that. As, as, uh, we say Bayupri Hagofen, even though the word is Gefen, but we say Gof Bayupri Hagofen because it's the end of a sentence. Sfaradim actually say Bayupri Hagefen. Um, so, grammatically speaking, in the winter, <coughs> in the winter mentioning, we say Mashivarach Umeiridha Geshem. It should be, it's the end of a sentence, just like Murid Hatol is the end of a sentence, and therefore we say Murid Hatol as opposed to Murid Hatal. So we should say Mashiv Haruach or Murid Hagoshem, as do many other communities. I believe Mishashkana say Hagoshem. So why do we say Geshem? So I heard once of art that the Gemara says, and this will have other relevance soon, that Tal, Tal is not something that we do, it's something that is always there, and it's never going to change. It doesn't depend on anything else. There's always do, and it always works, and there's no there's no uh, variations in that. Whereas rain, sometimes there's no rain, but even when there is rain, it's not always so good. Sometimes we just read yesterday, you could have floods, right? Yeah. Think Houston, right? So, so therefore, we make the word Geshem be not the end of a sentence. We change it from Goshem to Geshem so that it could, it could lead into the next sentence and still be considered part of the same sentence where we say, He sustains the living with loving kindness. So the loving kindness, I don't know why they translate Chesed as loving kindness, but anyway, Chesed is kindness. Um, so as, as if it was to say, he causes the wind to blow and the rain to fall and sustains the living with kindness. So that, so therefore we don't say Gosham so that the kindness sort of that's relates to the... That's a beautiful the explanation to make you realize how important the hour or what a difference. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. That's a good example. All right. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, if, if there's time at the end, I'll tell you another very interesting one. Okay, so when do we start saying Mashavarach Geshem? When do we... Um, when would be the appropriate time to start talking about rain and davening? And we're not going to do it in the summer, because in the summer we don't need, want the rain. But in the, in the winter, it's a time when we don't... Again, we're not yet asking for the rain, but we're mentioning that Hashem gives the rain. So when is the appropriate time to do this? One second, before most of which day? So why Shminyat Sarah? So the Alter Rebbe says like this, and instead of reading the Hebrew and translating, I'm just going to take the new book, and I'm going to read it straight in English. <coughs> Chapter 114. Rabbi Ephraim. We were waiting for you. Well, the Rabbi says here that the reason we mention it, the, the, the role of this mention that we're saying over here on page 46 is to make the request acceptable, i.e. before making a request for rain, which we're going to start in a few months' time, when the appropriate times comes, which is in the rainy season, we mention God's might in causing rain to fall so that our request will be accepted in good grace. Okay.
Logically, it would have been appropriate to begin mentioning the rain and requesting God's grace on the first day of Sukkot. Just like we finish mentioning grace by the, the, the Geshem on the first day of Pesach, and we start saying Tal, or for Ashkenaz, they just finish saying Geshem. Why does it make sense to do it on the first day of Sukkot? Because on Sukkot, the world is judged with regard to the granting of water. So says the Talmud. Yeah, but we don't want rain on our sukkah. Oh, nevertheless, <laughs> since the <laughs> rain during sukkahs indicate a curse, for it is impossible to dwell in the sukkah while it is raining, yeah, we do not yeah. mention rain until seven days of dwelling in the sukkah have passed. <coughs> it would be appropriate to begin... Men- right. So, that's why we don't start saying rain until the end of sukkahs. Now, in Chutz we because there's always the double days, because we're not sure of the date, historically we weren't sure of the date, so... We're still sitting in the sukkah on Shemini Atzeres, but technically sukkah is over, and therefore on Shemini Atzeres is the time to, um, to, uh, to no, to, to mention, mention to mention rain. Oh, to mention. Right. Now, when does Shemini Atzeres start? Starts the first Mairev after Hishanarama. So, the Alter Rebbe continues, it would have been appropriate to begin mentioning the rain immediately on the night of Shemini Atzeres. But since not everyone is present in the synagogue for the evening service, though some people just go straight to the sukkah hop, there would be some who would mention it and others who would not. And thus it would be forming separate groups. That wouldn't be good. So therefore we only start doing it in the morning. Why do we start doing it in... The, uh, so, so when we start doing it in the morning, why don't we start for Shachris? Why do we wait till Musaf? So here's an interesting thing. Those of you who were here on Shemini Atzeres may have noticed that before, that in the speech and in all the announcements before, um, the seasonal switch was mentioned. And then immediately before um, Musaf, Mashiv, somebody announced Mashiv Haruach, and somebody else quickly announced Omerit Hageshem. Because that person wasn't happy with the fact that just Mashiv Aruch was said, it has to be, you have to announce beforehand Mashiv Aruch Hageshem. Why? Because it is forbidden, and this is also the reason why we don't start by Shachris. It is, in, in, in order for the community to start saying Mashiv Aruch Hageshem, there has to be a collective announcement by a representative of the community that that's what we are now going to do. And therefore, it's not good enough to say, to announce Mashiv Aruch. Because Mashiv Aruch doesn't mean anything. That just makes the wind blow. That's not the point. The point is that whoever it is has to announce that the, the, we're now going to start saying Meirid Hageshem. Right? So that's why when somebody else announced Mashiv Aruch, I made sure to add O Meirid Hageshem. Because if, nobody, if we don't announce the word Meirid Hageshem before Shemun Esra, so then one, the community is not allowed to say it yet. And the Paschim actually point out explicitly that it's not... that, that, that one shouldn't make the mistake of just saying Mashiv Aruch, but you should make sure that before Shemun Esra, you bang on the table and you say Mashiv Aruch Omerit Hageshem. And this is also the reason why we don't um, say it by Shachris, because by Shachris we say Shemun Esra immediately juxtaposing it to the end of the Bracha, Baruch HaTo Hashem Gal Yisrael. And one has to be so mechgudla letfila, you're not allowed to make any interruption, even Kaddish. It would be appropriate to say Kaddish there, but we don't say it because we have to have Geula immediately juxtaposed to the Amida. And therefore, you can't make an announcement then, and therefore, we wait till Musaf. But you can still say it in Marv the night before. No, you cannot say it Marv the night before because it hasn't been announced. Okay. You can only say it, when it when once, once okay. it's been announced. 
Um, no, uh, clearly it has to be announced immediately before. Um, You're going to forget by then, yeah. Yeah. You also, what, but 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 if a person is not the whole, is not davening with the minion. If you have your own minion later, that's fine. But if you're behind the minion and you're davening shachris after Mashavaruch Meir Hagesham has already been announced, then you indeed say Mashavaruch Meir Hagesham by shachris. Al-Tareb also talks about what to do if you're in a town without a minion. Um, to go by the by the by the if you're in the village, you follow the town. And I actually once had this in practice. I was for the first days of Pesach in Taos, in New Mexico. Uh, we did not have a minion after for. Pesach, or for Merit Atal also, right? So we made a cheshpun that probably in Santa Fe, which was the closest minion, they had already said Merit. Yeah, so we, um, <coughs> so we did the switch. Does um, this announcement occur in all, all three, cha- in, I mean, all four changes, or just in this one? Th- this is the only one. W- um, <coughs> no, for those two, for Basha Varach and Merit HaGesham, you need to have the M for Merit Atal. So on Pesach also, before Musa, we announced Meirat Hatal. Um, even though... Ah, interesting. I didn't know this. He says... Okay, for the people who don't say Meirat Hatal, they just stop saying Mashavaruch and Gashem. So then they don't stop saying Mashavaruch until Mincha, because they wait for Chazar Sashatz. And once they hear Tfilas Tal, where the Chazan says Tal, yes, yes, so then everyone knows, and therefore we. They start. Yeah. <coughs> anyway, he goes into whole Cheshpun or Shachris, Mairev, whatever, but that's the way we do it. Fine. Um, now, what happens, like I said before, one has to say the Brocha in a way that the Chazal instituted. So, what happens if a person forgets to say Mashavarach Amirat Agashem? Or. Is grass both ways? What? If a person, let's just start the other way around, just because it's simpler. If a person said Mashavaruch Hamedagesham at the wrong time, in the middle of the summer, he said Mashavaruch Hamedagesham. So then you have to go back um, to the beginning of the bracha, and if you've already finished the bracha, that means you've already said Baruch Atah Hashem Mechayah Mesim. At the bottom of the page, then you have to go back to the beginning of the Amida. Okay? Because usually, in, ge- in general, the principle goes like this. If a person makes a mistake in any bracha, and this is going to be relevant also, so if a person makes a mistake in a bracha, if you haven't yet finished the bracha, you go back to the beginning of the bracha. If you have already, oh, sorry, if you haven't yet finished the bracha, you go back to wherever you had to. Well, that depends. Sometimes you go to where you were, sometimes you go to the beginning of the bracha. But even if you finish the bracha, you could technically go back to the beginning of the bracha. Except that with the first three blessings and the last three blessings of the Amida, they're each considered a unit. So if you made, in this case, a mistake in the second bracha and you already finished it, because it's all one unit, you have to go back to the beginning of the Amida. The same is true, for example, with Hamalach HaKadosh. If a person in the ten days said Hakel HaKadosh instead of Hamalach HaKadosh, you have to go back to the beginning of the Amidah because the first three blessings are one unit. Now, what happens if a person says, in the, in the winter, does not say Mashavu Rachamir Tagasha? According to this prayer book, he does not go back. Oh, so you don't go back. Why don't you go back? 
because it says so here. <laughs> yeah, but you've changed from the Nusach Shatavu Chachamim Bebrachas. Because Tal includes Geshem. Oh, very good. Because we assume that you didn't just forget to say Mashiv Haruach because you got up to that line and you said, hey, I'm going to skip that line. Probably the reason you didn't say it was because you forgot. And if you forgot, then what were you doing? You were saying whatever your whatever you're used to saying, which is merit at all. And therefore, because you said he causes due to the sin, even though due is not the same as rain, but nevertheless, you mentioned Hashem's kindness and, and, and powers in terms of bringing moisture to the world, and therefore, it's good enough so that you don't have to repeat it. Now here, there is a very big difference between Nusach Ashkenaz and Nusach Sfarat. Because Nusach Ashkenaz people don't say merit at all. And therefore, if you didn't say Mashavarach Merit Hashem, chances are you didn't say Merit Hatol either. So they got to go back. So they got to go back. Now, it's important to remember that in the summer, we're all in the same boat. In the summer, if you by mistake said Mashavarach Merit Hashem, then you, you have to go, then everyone, ha- then there's no difference between Sfardim and Ashkenazim, everyone has to go back. But in the winter, our Minhag gives us a bit of an upper hand in the winter that we don't have to go back. Now, what happens if a person is not sure whether which one he said? He doesn't remember. Uh, again, in the winter, you just said he's probably used to saying mumbling murder, so he's covered. Okay. What about the summer, or what about in Ashkenaz Jew? Um, by the way, I should mention that if... Just look at the, uh, uh, page 46 again. If a person said murder at all today... And then continues. Mechal kolchayim mechaset mechayim meis merach merabim. Yeah. Just one second. <coughs> so and then you remember, hey, I didn't say mashu rechem edegeshem. You could say it right there. So you say mechal kolchayim mechaset mechayim meis merach merabim. So mechnifin revecheilim at mashu rechem edegeshem or matir asurim. You could say it like that. Within the, that bracha. Within that bracha. If you finish the bracha, so then as long as you said merit at all, which is our minhag, then you're okay. However, if you do say it in the middle of the bracha, you have to be careful of two things. One is... One is that you... you, you the, the last phrase before the end of the bracha is always mirroring the end of the bracha. So if you look at the last line of page 46 in the English, you are trustworthy to revive the dead. Blessed are you, the Lord, who revives the dead. So those two phrases must be <coughs> immediately things. So if you remembered, you said, Whoops. So, no, it's not too late. Then you say, And then you say again, You have to just repeat that last thing. Additionally, Additionally, you have to say it in a place that it makes sense. You can't say, for example, He heals the sick. So you don't say Verofe uh oh Gashem Khailim. He heals uh, he causes the wind to blow and the rain to fall, the sick. No right? So you have to sort of but put it at a place where there's a comma. Why why do it again altogether if you can rely on the Because that's but the Evid. you have to say Mashvachila the Takana is to say Mashvarachameda Gashem in the Hold on.
The Al-Turabba says here, it's interesting, I, I, never, I didn't notice this before. The Al-Turabba says here that even if you didn't ret- um, finish the bracha, you don't need to go back, like you said, because you said merit at all, but the Al-Turabba says it in parentheses, which, Lamaisa, we follow it, so in this case, you're right. It, it, once you said merit at all, once you've passed that place, you wouldn't need to go back. I see here he brings some references to talk about this. Okay, but the the principles that I've uh, just said are important to remember anyway, and we'll get to it soon, because there are a number of times where we say that you say if you forget to say something, you should say it wherever you remembered, but you have to be careful not to say it in the middle of a phrase, like you have to make it at a place where it makes sense to pause, and also not to interrupt the the last phrase before the end of the bracha being right. So that that lesson is important anyway. Okay, now. What if a person's not sure what he said? So again, in the winter it's not so relevant to us, it's more relevant to us in the summer, for Ashkenazim it's relevant in the winter as well. So, the halacha is that for the first 30 days, we assume that you followed your, that you're still used to your old habit, and therefore the, for the first 30 days, um, if, you're not, if you're in doubt, then you must repeat. Again, it doesn't apply to us in the winter, but it does apply to us in the summer, and it applies to us in the winter as well. So you must repeat. Now, there is a minhag brought here in Shulchan Aruch that if that we're going to say that it takes you 30 days to break the habit. Now, how many, how many tefillas are there every day? Three. So how many times are you going to say it in 30 days? 90 times. So if I want to be sure that I'm not going to have to repeat Shemunasra, so on the first day of Pesach, I could say 90 times, 90 times, I should say it 90 times, and then, already right away, I could assume that I've broken my habit, and... Um, and, and therefore, if I'll ever be daydreaming in the middle of Shemunasra, um, then I don't need to go back because I will know what I've said. And indeed, it is brought down that I believe the Marat Merukenberg used to do this. Um, it was his custom to say it 90 times. However, and there's a lot of discussion, and we learn and compare this to other places in Shas, where we talk, other places in Halacha, where it talks about how we establish a habit. There's the habit of an animal to gore when it becomes a boring animal, and other things that we compare it to. That not necessarily is saying it 90 times equivalent to 30 consecutive days of 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 of, of, of davening, which sort of breaks the habit even more. By the way, the Alter Rebbe, it's a machloekus. The Alter Rebbe paskins that that even if a person over the 30 days may have skipped by mistake if a person didn't daven once or twice it doesn't matter because you still have the khativa of 30 days we're not worried about the one or two times during those 30 days that a person may have um, forgot to daven right or I would add that in those 30 days you may have one time said the wrong thing 
right? So then you would have to go back and say it again, but you sort of, there's sort of a deficiency in breaking habit, but nevertheless, saying it 30 times is um, 90 times, 30, 30, either 30 days or 90 times is good enough. Now the truth is, the very interesting Vartir from the Chassam Soifer, he says, the truth is that in 30 days, there's a lot more than 90 times. It's not just him who says it, because you have, on a number of the days, you have a musaf. And this is what he says. He says, this din of saying it for 30 days, and that's what breaks your habit, is a, a teaching of Rabbi Yochanan in the Jerusalem Talmud. However, he says, we find, and he quotes Toysus, and very encyclopedic knowledge in this little chuvah over here, we find that often the, Jeru- the, the people used to go away from their homes to learn Torah. When you were at home, there were too many distractions. People would go away. So often those from Bavel, from Babylon, would go to Jerusalem to learn, and, and those from Jerusalem would go to Bavel to learn. So Rabbi Yochanan was teaching students from the diaspora. So he tells them that you have to, you know, it takes you 30 days to break your habit. So he says, why 30 days? He says, 30 days have 90 davenings. Shachas mincha ma'ayav times 3 times 30 is 90. However, you t- you're missing 2 because on the first day of Pesach, you only start um, by Musaf. So you're missing 2 because by ma'ayav and Shachas, you still said Mashiv So therefore, you're down to 88. But then he says you have eight Musafs on the eight days of Pesach, right? So that brings you to 96. Um, and of course, this only applies to those from Bavel, because those from Eretz Yisrael would only have seven Musafs, okay? Then you have at least three Shabbosas, so that brings you to, where are we? 99. No, we were at 86. And no, we started, we started from 88, so then we had, there were 96, now we're 99. And then... Um, there's two days of Rish Chodesh. So that brings you to 101. So he says this fits perfectly with the concept that we know the Gemara says, and the Altarebbe speaks about this in Tanya, that the way to actually uh, remember something is by, st- by re- reviewing it at Dafka 101 times. So the Chassam Sofer says it's actually not 90 times, it's 101 times. And therefore he says, the Chassam Sofer says that if somebody wants to rely on this thing that on Pesach he should say 90 times uh, the, the whole thing to, to break his habit, actually you shouldn't say it 90 times, you should say it 101 times. Others also under Mogan Avram, perhaps Paskins like that also. Oh, so that's, so that's, that's not clear. I think there seems to be different versions of that se- of that uh, story. Uh, be that as it may, it's uh, yeah. It was the Maram Rutenberg. The Alter Rebbe says ninety times. The Mo- the Morgan of Rome brings a Hagos Maimonis who says you should say it as many times as you would say it in thirty days. So it's, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean ninety. It means whatever, hundred and one or whatever it is. But um, the Alter Rebbe passes ninety. However. 
like we mentioned before, it's not so clear that 90 times works, because it could be that you need dafka the 30 days, and therefore the Alter Rebbe Paskins that you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't make it your ritual to say it 90 times, because it wouldn't be clear if that would have the power of breaking your habit, and therefore don't do that, and just daven like a mensch, and you won't have any problems. Okay, now, let's move on to Vesein Talamotar. Um, okay, page 48. So now we have to start asking for rain. So, when is the correct time to start asking for rain? Says the Alta Rebbe, and of course, and again, I'll just read it to you in English. In Eretz Yisrael, we begin asking for rain on the eve of the 7th of Marcheshun. Because it is a hilly land and it requires rain directly after Sukkot, indeed it would have been appropriate there to begin asking for rain immediately after the holiday. But the sages delayed the request for 15 days so that the last of the Jews who made their way up to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage could return to their homes on the Euphrates River. Then the most distant settlement from Jerusalem, without being impeded by rain, or impeded by rain. Which one? Impeded. Impeded. Right? So therefore, uh, essentially, we should really, in Eretzisrael, before we get to outside of Eretzisrael, Eretzisrael is a very hilly land, and we need rain a lot, because if there's not a lot of rain, then it'll, it won't um, ir- irrigate the land, is that the word? Properly. And therefore, um, it should it would be appropriate to ask for rain immediately after Sukkot. So you would start saying, and that night in Mayriv, they would start saying the same Talamatar. However, we, people are coming to the pilgrimage, and we want to make sure they get home dry. It's not very convenient for them to travel in the rain, and therefore we wait another two weeks, which was the time it took to travel from Jerusalem to the Euphrates River. Um, it's quite a long time, actually. Um, They're walking on horseback. Well, horseback, maybe for walking it makes sense. For horseback, it seems like a long time. I mean, what is it, two, three hundred miles? A bit more, maybe? Anyway, so... It's actually quite amazing the extent that we go here. If you think about it, we said this on Yom Kippur in Davening. The Kohen Godel goes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur. <laughs> And uh, this is a very, um, a very, it's a very, um, a, a very special time, very delicate time. I mean, the Kohen was just happy to come out alive. Many Kohenim Gedonim died in the Holy of Holies. So he comes out and he says a very small prayer. It's not a time for a long prayer. What's the small prayer that he says? Okay, women should have healthy births. This makes sense. Women shouldn't have miscarriages. And then he says, That when the world needs rain, don't take heed to the prayers of the travelers who ask you to not rain, right? So we're really very into the rain thing. And yet over here we have the entire Jewish nation wait two weeks to ask for rain just so that the person should be able, who came to the base of Mikdash for Sukkot, should be able to get home comfortably. 
right, without uh, a raincoat. So um, it says quite a bit about Avish Yisrael and perhaps about the importance of coming to Eretz Yisrael on Sukkot, to Yerushalayim on Sukkot. Now, that's all in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. What about nowadays? Nowadays, where nobody's going to the Nahar Paras, so nobody's. So, what? The nowadays in Eretz Yisrael, they should start saying the same Talmud immediately after Sukkot. Says the Alter no. Even after the destruction of the Temple, people from all surrounding areas would gather together in Jerusalem from the, for the pilgrim festivals, as this is the pract- as is the practice at present as well. Alter Rebbe says even in his day, it was the practice that people who lived around, uh, as far as Mitzrayim even, would come to Jerusalem for the pilgrim festivals. Even though there was no mitzvah per se of Aliyah Regal, people would still come. This is why the ordinance of the sages who had instituted the petition for the rain at Yisrael the summit of Macheshvan was not abrogated after the destruction. And therefore, till today, in Yisrael, they only start saying even though nowadays the rain is less of an impediment and people have a means of travel by which the rain won't uh, uh, disturb them as much but nevertheless the minhag has not changed um, I actually saw a re- story, it was quite an amazing story with a reference about people coming to Israel for Sukkot even for, from as far as Bavel because in Sefer Chesidim who in, he talks about Shuva here, and the Sefer Chesidim hold, holds, not like the Alter Rebbe explains in the Gareth Shuva and other places, that um, a person having suffering is an integral part of the mitzvah of Teshuvah. And he brings a number of stories, and he says that you only do these things to a person who is truly remorseful about what he's done, and he's truly trying to be clean in front of Hashem. And he says over here, that there was a, 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 a murderer who came to Rav Hai and Rav Yosel Kohen Sedek. Now Rav Hai, Rav Hai Goyen lived in Bavel, and he came to them in Yerushalayim. And later he says here, this is what the relevance to this discussion was, that Rav Hai Goyen used to come every year from Bavel to Yerushalayim. So we see that he even went as far as Bavel. And he says here that Rav Hai had a very interesting custom. He would come for Sukkot, and on Yishan he would encircle Har Hazesim seven times. It's quite a trek. Um, seven times he would walk around the entire mountain of Har Hazesim. And um, they would say. Yeah, on Hishana Rabba. And they would say, and they would say, Mizmirim, they would say Psalms, I guess. In a, yeah, I mean, take a few hours. But I, mean, I don't know exactly how big the mountain is, but uh, how big is. How, you know, few miles was time of the walk was, I don't know. Um, anyway, there's a whole story here where the Aliyah Navi was walking with him and he asked him when Mashiach is going to come and then this murderer guy, they, they buried him in, in the sand alive and they left him a little hole to breathe and they let him there for... They, they, whatever, it's a whole exciting story. But um, I just... The, 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 the what did they do with the murderer? The murderer wanted to, he wanted to do teshuva, so they caused him to suffer a lot. So it says, and he says that you only do this to somebody who's truly done teshuva, and he wants to have the suffering so that he should be able to come clean to Hashem. So he says, first they basically beat the living daylights out of him until he was almost three di- dead, and they did this to him three times. No, one second. 
First, sorry, I'll go back a few lines. First, Rav Hayyan of Yosa said that they should give him Malkus and Harazesim until he's um, gushing blood. Should hit him until he's gushing blood. Um, and the murderer was screaming, "Hit me! Don't, don't have mercy on me!" You know, like really anything, so that I should come clean to Hashem. And they hit him until he was completely swollen up. And then they said, "Okay, leave him now." And they wait for, waited three weeks. After three weeks, I guess they needed some recuperation time. They buried him in the sand, and they left just a very small hole so that he should be able to breathe. And then they tortured him and they made him suffer until he was almost on the brink of death. They did this to him three times, and then they understood that he had a complete atonement because he accepted everything with love. Accepted all the suffering with love, so they realized that he's a true Baal And the, the murderer was worried that maybe it's not complete Tshuva, and he was reassured of how he assured him that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had completely forgiven him. And then the story was that he was doing his hakafas around Haraz Asim, and all the Koyanim would go around with him, but there would be a big distance. He would be in the middle, and the Koyanim would be a distance in front of him and behind him, and he walked alone in the middle. And this Ritzeach saw him smiling. And he, yeah, and he asked him why he was smiling, and he said that he was talking to Yoah Navi, and all of these all of these Koyanim were dressed in elegant garbs, and it turns out that the Yonavi told him that really the only one of these people who's a true Kohen is one who's all the way in the back and all the other, and he's wearing tattered clothes and all the other Kohenim is below their dignity to be together with him and he's the only one who, out of all these 400, I think it was, that are a kosher, that is a kosher Kohen. So why were the others not kosher? Well, there, there's a lot of things that could make a Kohen not kosher. First of all, a person could just be, think he's a Kohen is not, but also if the, if the marriage wasn't a kosher marriage, it would make the Kohen invalid. Um, anyway, let's, let's, I want to try and finish with St. Alamata. There's a lot to talk about this as well, but... Uh, yeah, this is exciting. He, uh, I'm just wondering if the rest of the Kohen are like that today. One in 400 of the Kohen. Um, so he was smiling because he found that amusing, he said. <laughs> Beforehand, they had the guy, he told him to write... <coughs> I found this interesting because he told one of the people who had to do teshuva for something, he told him to write chumashim, but like like a sefer like but not a sefer Torah. He shouldn't bind them together. He should keep them separate like a chumash. And, the, and this was going to be part of his... The, what I'm, not, this is not the murderer, this is somebody else. This was going to be part of his teshuva process. So he said to him, why don't you... Um, why don't you uh, tell me to write a Sefer Torah? So he tells him that every shul needs a maximum three or four Sefer Torah, and the rest is just it's better to have a Chumash, and like this five people can learn from it at once, instead of one person being able to learn from it. And I found that meaningful because I know nowadays often people think that the biggest mitzvah they could do, especially in somebody's memory, is to donate a Sefer Torah. But unfortunately, I believe more often than not, they're donating a sefer to a shul that doesn't really need it, and they could take the same money and give it to provide... It's a plug for the library. <laughs> no, actually, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say they could take the same money and pay for a Jewish child to have a Jewish education who wouldn't can or whatever it is, things which are much more important than a shul having a 16th sefer Torah. Why can five people study from it if it's not work for them? No, it was going to be in scroll form, but it was going to be the five chomashim separately instead of bound together as one. 
Okay, I'm they didn't have. Sure. Yeah, this was before the printing press, obviously. Okay, now, so therefore you're supposed to say Saint um, Alamotar only from Zayin Cheshen. By the way, the Alter Rebbe doesn't say this, but the practical relevance of this thing is that because in theory it's appropriate to save a Saint Alamotar um, immediately after Sukkot. If a person in Israel, and we'll see soon the same applies in Nechutzlaras, but if a person by mistake says the same Talamotor already now, before the 7th of Cheshun, because at least in theory it's an appropriate time to say the same Talamotor, they do not need to repeat the Amida because they requested rain and it's not completely out of, out of the thing. Now, what about Babylonia? So Bavel and similar places that are not as hilly as Israel and hence do not need rain immediately after Sukkot, begin to ask to rain from the eve of the 60th day after the fall equinox. The day of the equinox and the day on which we begin to ask to rain are included in the sum of 60 days. Thus, there are always two days between the day of the week of the equinox, uh, which the equinox falls on the day of the week which the request is first made. For example, if the equinox was on Sunday, the request will be first made on the, pre- on, on the night preceding Wednesday, on Tuesday night. So it's just this 60 days, so it's going to come out like that. Um, so therefore, nowadays, we always basically comes out on the 4th of December, uh, except um, after a... Um, no, the 5th. Yeah, well, it's the night of... It's, it's, yeah, it's, okay. uh, it's on the 5th, but it's, we start by Mayrif, so it's the Mayrif of the 4th, except on the year following a February 29th, so then it's going to be on the next night because it pushes it off one day. Um, so once in a while, it's a day later. Um, yeah? Is that what it says there? No, it says in the year preceding a leap year. Sorry, preceding a leap year. That makes more sense. Yeah, because before it's... Before it's... Because um, the, the leap year catches up. That's good for the, the season. Okay. Um, now... So in Bavel, they only needed rain on the, in the beginning of December, so therefore they only started asking for rain then. Now what about the rest of the world? So this, is a cause, this was a cause, back in the ta- day, of a great, a great controversy, because the Rosh held that, what well, doesn't make sense for everybody to copy what Bavel do, everybody, every country, every region should be requesting rain at the time that they need the rain. So, in um, other countries in Europe, which are more, uh, which have a terrain more similar to Israel, maybe they need the rain closer to Sukkot. They don't need it on the 60th day of the Tkufa. And this, um, this was a big machlekas. The Maisa, we paskin that the rest of the world besides Eretz Yisrael all start doing it the same way as Bavel. That became the custom that we all do it on the 60th day of the Tkufa. In fact, even in the southern hemisphere, where it's the 60th day of what? The 60th day of the Tkufa, of the 60th day from the fall equinox. I don't think it's the fall equinox that's on Wikipedia. It's Kufa Shmuel, so it's a bit. It's going to be a few days off, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, the even in the southern hemisphere, in Australia and Argentina and South Africa, all those countries where they they, they need rain in, 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 in May and April and whatever, yeah? Nevertheless, they say, they say in Talamata the same way that we do. 
and they say Vesein Talmater in the summer, they're asking for rain in the summer, and it does sound a bit strange. Actually, the Rebbe one time mentioned it in, 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 the, in the summer of 1982. The Rebbe mentioned in the Sicha that, uh, that, um, that it was sort of parenthetically, the Rebbe just mentioned, like, that in Australia they asked for rain, in, in those countries they asked for rain um, in the times that they need it, not in the times that we need it. So Rabbi Groner from Australia immediately called up and he said, does the Rebbe mean that we should all be changing our custom and should we start doing it differently? And the Rebbe addressed it in the Sikha, the Rebbe was very upset and the Rebbe said, why are you trying to make more machlechus and don't you understand yourself that when I say these things I'm not talking about how you should do things in practice, I'm just talking a theoretical um, idea. And well, anyway, the Rebbe was very clear that you shouldn't change the minhag, and that even in this, uh, those countries, you should say the same Talamator. So, what did he mean when he said it? There is such an opinion, and he was discussing whatever he was discussing in accordance with that opinion. And as we know in Torah, all opinions are true. Only one of them can be fulfilled in practice, but all opinions are true. And therefore, there was a, a point in discussing it, but it wasn't to be taken in the pra- in, in terms of practice. Many times, the Rebbe said something in theory, but then when it came to a specific person asking the same question, it would be more individualized, different than his public theoretical type. Okay, now, Lamaisa, the halacha remains that we only start in, in all over the world outside of Israel, we start saying the same Talamotor after the 60 days. However, because of all these uh, opinions, that, uh, because because there is the opinion also that we should be starting earlier, and it's only in ba- Babylon that they don't. Therefore, the halacha remains that if a person says Hussein Talamata already today, or let's say there's an Israeli who's used to always starting on Zion Cheshvan, and he comes to America, and now he lives here, and he doesn't he doesn't realize that in Chutzar it's different. It doesn't matter if you say Hussein Talamata; it's not the end of the world because, and you don't need to repeat the Amida because. Um, you're good. Now, if a person forgot to say Hussein Talamatar, so you could say it um, anywhere at, till the end of the bracha. So, looking at page 48, if you forget to say Hussein Talamatar and you're a few li- words later, you could say it there. Yeah, you could say it right there. As long as you're careful about the two th- principles we said before, not to say it in between two words. That don't make it. Yeah, you have to say it where there's a comma. And also not to interrupt the end over there, where it's, which is, you are a good God who, who, who blesses the years. blesses the years, blesses you, blesses the years. So you don't want to interrupt between that last two parts. But if you didn't say it, um, you could say it then. Um, if you didn't say it then, you could say it after the bracha, before, as long as you haven't started the next bracha of the Kabbalah you said, Baruch Atah Hashem, Baruch Hashanim. You could then say, V'sein Talamot Bracha, and then continue to Kabbalah If you missed it then, you don't have to go back. You could go to Shema Kuleinu, which is the blessing where you could add in anything you want, and you could say it there. That's on page 50, the second paragraph. But if you forgot it then, then you have to go back to Baruch Aleinu and um, say it in the right place. Between Baruch and Shemakaleinu, what if you remember in the middle? So then you go to Shema, you wait till you get to Shemakaleinu. Oh, you wait. Yeah, and you say it in Shemakaleinu before the end, before you say Ki'ata Shemayat Falas Kol Peh, because that's the end, summer, right? 
And then if you forget to say it then, you could say it after. Baruch Atah Hashem Shomeret Fila V'Sein Talamatar. But if you forgot and you already started the word with Seya Hashem Aleikeinu, then you have to go back all the way to Baruch Aleinu. Go back right there, or you finish? No, no, no. You go back to Baruch Aleinu. If you finish Menasser, then you have to start all over again. Now, what does finishing Menasser means? Um, it means when you start, when you finish the second year Yulorotzayin, and you're about to take your three steps back. Um, by the way, in the summer, if a person by mistake did say the same Talamata it's not good enough to just go back and say the same Bracha Al because you're still within the blessing and you've mentioned rain. The fact that you went back and then said it again without the rain doesn't take away the fact that you mentioned rain. And therefore, if a person by mistake said in the summer, he has to go back to the beginning of the bracha and say the whole bracha again without mentioning rain. Okay. Now, a few minutes left. I want to talk about what to do for people who are traveling. Now, it means traveling from Israel to Chutzlaretz and vice versa. This question becomes more and more relevant as traveling in the recent years has become um, very common. So, and in the er very early sources, there isn't much discussion about it. Um, I'm going to have to finish in two minutes, so I'm just going to do this quickly. Um, the, The first one to talk about it was the Radvaz, who lived in Mitzrayim, I believe. And he says that you should, you, you have to go by wherever you are. You are. So if you're in Chutzlaretz, you say, like Chutzlaretz, if you know, to say like Israel. He says, however, if, he says also it depends when you're going back. He has a whole Cheshmenu, but he just says one interesting thing, which is not accepted. And that is, he says, if a person is in Chutzlaretz, but his family are in Israel, so then he does need rain, because he needs his family to have food. And therefore, if your family is right to stroll, you still say the same Talamotar. Anyway, others argue on their advice and they say that you don't follow that way. I'm not going to go through now all the ins and outs. I'm just going to tell you practically the way I've heard from Rabbi Farkash, who's one of the prominent Chabad rabbis today. The way he says is like this. If a person lives in Chutzlaretz and then, and he happens to visit Eretz Yisrael after the 7th of Cheshvan. So then, so long as he's in Eretz Yisrael, he should say Vesein Talamotar together with them. But then when he comes back to Chutz Laretz, he reverts back to the Chutz Laretz, the way of davening, until, um, unt- until December 5th. Um, can be very confusing. Can be confusing, but uh, well, so long as you know Israel, so it doesn't have to be in Israel on the seventh of Cheshvan. Even if I just go to Israel um, for the Chasana, which may be before December, I don't know. So then, while you're at Israel, you say the same Talamata, and if you come back before December fifth, then you revert back. Now, again, if you come back to Chutzlaretz and you forget to say the same Talamata. So then it doesn't matter, and sorry, and you forget to switch back and you do say the same Talamotar, then it doesn't matter because, like we said before, that even if, even if, yeah, yeah. If a person lives in Israel and he comes here before, let's say he's here for Sukkot, and he stays until the 15th of Cheshwan. So then he does not start saying the same Talamatar until he goes back. 
Again, if he by mistake does, it doesn't matter. But you don't start saying until he goes back to Israel, even if his family is there. But if he's there and he comes here, then he does continue to say it. That means even because he. So if a person who lives in Chicago goes to Israel and comes back, then you're saying it like Chicago. But the person who lives in Israel and comes to Chicago, then according to Rabbi Farkash, the best way is that he does continue to say the same Talmud just one moment. Well, for the American, he does do that. He, while he's there, he says it. Then he comes here and he stops saying it. But for he's the not invested in Israel. Um, but for the Benar Tzestral, who comes to Chutzlaret, once he already started saying it, you in Israel, then he continues saying it here, with the exception of if he is davening for the Amit. If a if a person who's say, saying the same Talamator here where it's not the time so then when you're davening quietly you could say whatever you want when you do Chazar Sashat so the person davening for Amit on behalf of the community then you have to say it the way the community needs it because now this is not about you this is about you representing you being representative of um, the community um, and I believe that is the summary of the practical halachas of traveling um, I would guess that if a person goes to Israel and doesn't say it, he probably does not need to repeat it because there's always going to be an opinion who says that it was okay in such a case and therefore at the most he should do it for the Nadova, he should do a voluntary um, tefillah. Um, okay.